This is the Rundown. The Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the auction community studio for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher, the bear behind the glass. I got totally thrown off, Bear. There's They're replaying Titans-Colts uh, on, on the Central TV here, and I thought for a second, is there Tuesday Night Football I forgot about? Because there is Wednesday Night Football this week. But no. No Tuesday yeah, Night Football. I feel football. like we're getting gypped here. I'd say, I feel like I need football every night of the week, which I'm sure the NFL wouldn't mind. Uh, but there is no Tuesday Night Football, and we are going to get right into it tonight because we got a lot. We got a lot of Suns talk on the show tonight, but I want to start with the Cardinals Looking a little bit deeper at what they have in front of them now. Five games to go. Uh, with Seattle winning last night, I was looking at the, uh, somebody had sent us the odds, like, you know, for what the Cardinals are to win the division or to win the NFC. They're 14 to 1 now to win the division, which uh, that more than anything just tells you what the rest of the. NFL nation thinks of the Cardinals right now. I think a lot of people don't know what to think of the Cardinals right now. This is what I am thinking about the Cardinals. They got five games to go. Two of them are against the Rams. And this is a defining month and a half, not even a month and a half, five weeks for Cliff Kingsbury. I know, I know a lot of Cardinals fans aren't happy with him. And within that group, there is the subset that's uneasy and thinks, okay, maybe he's in over his head or maybe, you know, maybe there's a limit to how far they can go with Kingsbury as the coach. And then there's another subset within that group that's like, they just want him out. I'm still going to take the wait and see approach, but I think the next five weeks are not career defining, but really are going to tell us a lot about what he is capable of in the near future as the Cardinals head coach. Because if you take a step back, I think it was Mike Sando was on with Bickley and Murata today, and he said, you know, if, if you're kind of, if you're just kind of looking at, hey, the Cardinals won three games two years ago, and then they won five and tied a game last year, if they finish this season eight and eight, or certainly even nine and seven, that's not a disaster. But the thing is, you started six and three, so if you start six and three and finish eight and eight, and you miss the playoffs. That is a problem once you've set the expectations that high. So these next five games, you've got the Rams, Giants, Eagles, 49ers, and Rams again. We'll get to L.A. in a second, but the Giants are in the thick of the race in the NFC East, and I think the best team in the NFC East, although right now at least they don't have Daniel Jones, so that would mean Colt McCoy is the quarterback. There's a chance, though, he may be back in time for the Cardinals game. Lucky us. Philadelphia is going to have something to play for. They don't look real good, but that's, I mean, after you lose that game to the Patriots, nobody on the schedule is like, oh, that's a free win. Is Philadelphia really that much worse than the Patriots? San Francisco in week 16? That is a team that I have all the respect in the world for right now. They don't even have anywhere to play. They've lost half their team. They had to play a game earlier this season without another good chunk of their team against the Packers on Thursday night, and they got hammered in that game, but they're still in the thick of the playoff race. Like I, You can't take that team lightly. They're only in the playoff race because the Cardinals have dropped three of four, but still, they're there. But then there's the Rams, and this is why I think it's going to be a defining moment here for Cliff Kingsbury, one way or the other. 
He's 1-2 and two now in three games against the 49ers. You can make a case in each of the three games the Cardinals have gotten better, the two last year and then the, the win this year. He's 2-2 two and two against the Seahawks. Okay. Against the Rams, he's 0-2. But the Cardinals, as a team in their last six meetings with the Rams, so the last three years, they're 0-6. They were outscored 65-31 last year with Kingsbury as coach. They were outscored 65-9 to the year before with Steve Wilkes as coach. And they were outscored 65-16 to the year before that with Bruce Arians as coach. So I'll save you the math. They're 0-6 against the Rams, and in their last six meetings with L.A., they've been outscored 195-56. to That does not bode well for this week or Week 17. And as I said last night, if you want to make the playoffs now, now that you gave that game away to New England, you're going to have to go through the L.A. Rams, who are the team I'm least confident in the Cardinals beating. Now, I think they're going to split with them here. And I hope for everybody's just mental well-being, uh, the win comes this week at home against L.A. because otherwise you're in a tailspin. But you're going to have to go through the team that has owned you for the last three years. And it, again, it's not a team that you've played once in the last three years. You've played them six times. They've outscored you 195-56. to 56. And yes, different coaches and quarterbacks each of those years. So each set of two games. But not on the Rams' side. It's been Sean McVay and Jared Goff and a lot of the Aaron Donald. A lot of the same pieces. The other thing with Kingsbury, look at the NFC West. And we talked so much at the start of the year and they said, okay, well, you know, Russell Wilson's probably the best quarterback, but Kyler Murray, could he be the second best? Probably is. Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo. But how about the coaches? Kyle Shanahan has kept the 49ers afloat a year after making the Super Bowl with like half his team. Sean McVay is a pretty good coach. Pete Carroll's more accomplished than any of them. Cliff Kingsbury doesn't just have to get a lot better in a lot of people's minds to be considered like just a good NFL coach. He's in a division with three of the best. So if he can go out there and get the Cardinals a win over the Rams, if they can win three of these next five games, I understand why there's a lot of criticism of him right now. We'll get more into that later on in the show. But he has a chance here to, to sort of turn some of that criticism around. If he gets this team to 9-7 and seven and they beat, I don't know, the Rams, the Giants, and the 49ers, let's say, here down the stretch, and they get in, and maybe they can even win a playoff game, a lot of that criticism is going to maybe not completely go away, but at least quiet down for a little bit. But if he can't pull this team out of this tailspin and they let the Rams do what the Rams have been doing now for three years to the Cardinals. Yeah, then it gets real dicey heading towards this uh, this offseason. All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. We're going to get into our top five uh Biggest concerns with the Cardinals right now later on in the show. In fact, I will. you can tweet into the show with your concerns at Rundown987. Uh, you can tweet me at Luke Lipinski. You can tweet Bear at Bear987. NCAA football, yes. I had to do like a triple take to make sure this was live. We were watching it in the newsroom. But uh, the college football playoff, you know, they update it every week. They have updated it again this week. Same, same top seven. Nothing has changed. Alabama, number one. Notre Dame, two. Clemson, three. Ohio State, though, number four. 
I don't think anybody can complain about those top three, but Ohio State's played one game in the last three weeks, and they're 4-0. and Now, I don't know what the cutoff is. Nobody knows what the cutoff is. I would assume the committee has had conversations about this. I, I would hope. you got to play a certain amount of games to, to be legitimately considered for the playoff, right? I know it's not Ohio State's fault that they didn't get to play Maryland back on November 14th or Illinois on November 28th or that their season didn't even start till October 24th. And yeah, I do feel like Ohio State's probably one of the four best teams. Like, I don't think that they would be a detriment if they were in the playoff. But at the same time, if they finish the season 5-0, and how how is that fair to put them in over some of these other teams? If you're just going to say, well, they were one of the best, so just put them in. Well, then why are we playing any of these games? Why don't we just start in the playoff? They have wins over Nebraska, Penn State, who at the time was 18, but uh, now is 1-5. Rutgers and Indiana. They got Michigan State this Saturday if they're able to play Michigan uh, December 12th. I mean, I, I would, to me, they have to win, they have to play, which is out of their control, and beat both Michigan State and Michigan. Otherwise, you got to put another team in the playoff. If they finish 4-0 and or 5-0, and that's, that's not. <laughs> like, again, is Ohio State one of the four best teams? Probably, yeah. But if they don't have to play any games to get there, then why are we playing any of the regular season games? Let's just start in the playoff with those four teams. ASU football, we talked about this last night. We'll get more into it with Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source later on in the show tonight. But no uh, Jack Jones or Ashari Crosswell, I would assume, for the UCLA game. Both suspended indefinitely. That news came out during our show last night. So like I said, we did talk about it a little bit last night. But I mean, Jack Jones in particular was a monster against USC in the one game ASU has played this season. And you know, unfortunately for him, he had to leave a couple times with uh, with with cramps. But when he was out there, he he was shutting down at least as well as anybody can. Amon Ross St. Brown of the of the Trojans, who's their best receiver, and to not have him against UCLA, that's that's going to be a problem. Ashari Crosswell was was showing flashes the last couple years. He didn't play much in the USC game. It's it's hard, though, to look at ASU and be like, okay, well, you know, we haven't seen much of this guy this year, but this guy was playing. Yeah, they played one game. So I'm going to go ahead and say losing Crosswell is an issue, too. Like I said, we'll talk to Chris Cartman about it more here in a little bit. It's not a legal thing by all reports. It's, uh, it's just violating team conduct, essentially. And so that's why those two... They, I don't. I haven't seen that they've been officially ruled out of the UCLA game. I've just seen suspended indefinitely. So I guess that could be a half, or it could be the rest of the season. Who knows? And on to the Phoenix Suns. We heard from Monty Williams today. We're going to react to some of what he told the media. He's, he's got pretty high expectations for this team, and I can tell you he coached Chris Paul for a year. I'm not breaking news. I think most Suns fans know that. About 10 years ago. This guy's excited to be coaching Chris Paul again. They're both at different points in their career. And I got to say, when I heard Monty Williams today talking about Chris Paul and what he brings to a team, it got me more fired up for the season. Because you, you do you do remember, wait, this they, they did. They just brought in a Hall of Fame point guard. Now, maybe you, know, maybe you only have him for two years. Maybe he's only potentially great for one year. He, he does need to be great this year for what you gave up for him. But Monty Williams has all the confidence in the world in him. And I don't know. It's just, I'll play some of the audio when we come back and you, and you can react to it as well. But I also do want to say Jay Crowder on with Burns and Gambo this uh, this afternoon. And we're going to replay that interview later on in the show. But that's if, 
if you are a Suns fan that's kind of going back and forth, and you're like, yeah, I'm excited, but, you know, I like Kelly Oubre, and we traded him, and I've been down this path before where we're going to be good. I, I, playing this audio isn't going to guarantee anything for the Suns, but you will get fired up listening to Monty Williams and especially Jay Crowder. So we'll we'll get all that to you. But when we come back, how exactly are teams stopping Kyler Murray and the run? We started to get some answers potentially today. We'll get into it next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. A good story from uh, Josh Weinfuss of NFL Nation on ESPN.com today. Looking at some of the reasons why maybe we're not seeing Kyler Murray be nearly as productive on the ground. And, and you know, by extension, why we're not seeing the Cardinals offense be nearly as dangerous here over the last couple weeks. And he goes through, I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to read you the whole article, but he does bring up the uh, the strategy of containment, blitzing, and a lot of jumping defensive linemen on opposing teams. A few different teams have tried that, and if you look at the games where the Cardinals have struggled to move the ball, they are pretty consistently the ones where Kyler Murray's not taking off and running. And I know this goes back to what Kyler said after the game on Sunday when he was getting frustrated. He's like, "Look, I don't have to. I don't have to run for us to win games," which. I think there's a lot to that. I mean, I think they shouldn't have to... He shouldn't have to run for them to be able to beat New England. But if you're talking about you want to go on a run, you want to make the playoffs, you want to go deep in the playoffs at some point, as I said last night, Kyler Murray's ability to run combined with his ability to throw the football is what makes him special. It's what separates him from almost every quarterback in this league. It doesn't make him better than Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying that. But, you know, if you want to break him down as just a passer, okay, he's not Mahomes, he's not Aaron Rodgers, not Russell Wilson, but he's pretty good. And then when you throw in the fact that he can run, like, pr- better than anybody except, you know, Lamar Jackson, well, he's a much better thrower than Lamar Jackson. So it's the whole package. That's what they need from Kyler Murray. And I don't look at the last few games and say, like, oh, Kyler Murray can't run anymore. He doesn't know how to run. It's more either he's hurt and... The Cardinals are trying to protect him, or teams are adjusting, which is to be expected. But again, this goes back to this being a defining stretch here for Cliff Kingsbury. He needs to be able to readjust and and set Kyler Murray free again. The amount of blitzes the Cardinals have seen over the last four games, again, this is from Josh Weinfuss's uh, story on ESPN.com, Teams are blitzing the Cardinals 39% of the time in the last four games, 17% over the first seven games. Now, it's not that simple as, hey, that guy's really fast, let's just blitz him and that'll be that. Like I said, there's a lot more to it. And I still think the overriding factor is that he's banged up with that shoulder injury and they don't want, look, no offense to Chris Strebler, but they don't want Chris Strebler quarterbacking the team for the final month of the season as they try and make the playoffs. So they're like, okay, you know what? We'll sacrifice a little bit of running. We at least still have Kyler as a passer. The problem with that is I think they they went far enough with that on Sunday against the Patriots where he got in short yardage situations the Patriots didn't even have to respect the possibility that Kyler might just roll out and run it himself. Not a run-pass option, just, hey, he's going to run it. We need two yards, he's going to get a seven. 
because that that was basically the get out of jail free card the first seven games of the season, the first nine games of the season. We need a few yards. Okay, we'll run it on second down. Okay, we can't get it. We'll run it on third down. Okay, fine. Kyler, just run it and get it yourself. And then we'll start this uh, the next set of downs. That seems to be gone now the last two weeks. Kelvin Beecham, an interesting comment today when he was asked about what's been different. He had this to say. Well, he really did have it to say, and now it's not going to play. All that work to set it up. Hold on. Let's, uh, let's, he, he basically said the, uh, the coaching, anybody that's either Bill Belichick or has coached under Bill Belichick has, uh, has been guarding the Cardinals differently. Here we go. I would say if you come from the Belichick tree, there's a way in which those teams have defended us. So if you look at our losses um, to Detroit, to Miami, um, and to New England this past weekend, those teams all approached us from, from, from an upfront standpoint. They all approached us in the same, same way. Um, being able to put um, either a, a, a five-man front, six-man front, or sometimes a seven-man front, um, up in front of us to make sure that we weren't able to run the ball in the fashion that we were able to run the ball. Um, so I would say that those three teams have defended us in, in a way. And I think if you look at what Seattle did in game two, they did that five-man front type of defense, six-man front at, at times, um, to make sure that they negated the run. Okay, well, he just described four of the Cardinals games this season. They've lost five, right? He's talking about Matt Patricia with Detroit back in week three. Cardinals lose 26-23. Brian Flores with Miami Week 9, Cardinals lose 34-31, although Kyler Murray had a really good game in that one. And then this past Sunday, Bill Belichick himself, Cardinals lose 20-17, to and then uh, Beecham also bringing up the, uh, the second meeting with the Seahawks last Thursday, where they lost 28-21. to Teams are going to adjust. It's the NFL. The Rams have Aaron Donald and a pretty good coach. They're going to have a plan for Kyler Murray. But Kyler Murray's one of the most talented players in the NFL. The Cardinals need to be able to readjust. And I'm not saying they should have done it yet, but if you want to do anything this season, you're going to have to do it now in the next month. Because absolutely the Rams are going to have a plan for Kyler Murray. Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers have already seen him three times. They're going to have some sort of plan. Whether they can execute it with the injuries they have on defense or not remains to be seen. The Giants, I mean, Joe Judge seems like he's a half-decent coach. Philadelphia, I don't know what they're doing. But they're gonna. these teams are going to have a plan for Kyler Murray. Even if they can't come up with it on their own, they can watch what Detroit and Seattle and New England did and try to do that, just try to replicate that. So this is where the Cardinals are going to have to readjust back. This is part of the game within the game during the season. So again, it goes back to Cliff Kingsbury. Can he do that? This is what he's supposed to be good at. to the NBA and Monty Williams talking to the uh, media today. I mentioned he's uh, he's pretty pretty fired up to have Chris Paul. Here's some of what he said. I have a responsibility to develop and, and help these guys become the best version of themselves. And, and I think Chris has always felt that. And he feels a responsibility to make guys better. You may not like the way he does it sometimes, but I think if you look at his heart and his intention, you'll see a guy that might be one of the most competitive people you will ever, ever be around. I've witnessed it for myself, and um, I'd rather have that than guys who don't want to win, guys who are happy about coming out of the game, guys who don't work, 
you know, I, I'd rather have this than the, the opposite. I know a lot of Suns fans look at what happened in the bubble and they're like, oh, Devin Booker's a top seven, eight player. Look what we did in the bubble. DeAndre Ayton's going to be great. We're good. We're going to make the playoffs. And, and I, don't, I don't totally disagree with that. But the reason I think the Suns are going to make the playoffs and be dangerous this season is is more it's more something you can't necessarily just measure by, hey, we were 8-0 in the bubble. It's, it's that stuff that Monty Williams is talking about. I love having Monty Williams now year two. Just the consistency with a really good coach from year to year. His excitement to have Chris Paul and his familiarity with Chris Paul and, and the things that Chris Paul can potentially unlock in DeAndre Ayton first and foremost, but also the other guys on this roster, even a guy like Devin Booker. Like you look at Devin Booker, you don't say, "Well, he, you know, he's got to reach another level." Devin Booker is doing everything just fine for the Suns. But what if Chris Paul can can help him too? He should be able to. That's the sort of intangible stuff that you can't necessarily measure until we see this group play together. But that's the stuff I'm excited about more so than they went eight zero in the bubble because you can poke holes in that a little bit. You can say, "Well, most of the teams they were playing." didn't really have anything to play for. They were in the playoffs or they were out of it or whatever. And I don't think we should. I think the the Suns' performance in the bubble was amazing, and we absolutely should be excited about that. I'm not trying to poke holes in it, but I'm saying you at least can, whereas this this new attitude this team has and this consistency from one year to the next and this competitive edge with Monty Williams and now Chris Paul, that is the stuff that I think is, is legit. Like, you can't deny that. Uh Bear, you have some potential NBA scheduling news back there? I do. Okay. So we've been talking about, a lot of people on the station today have been talking about how cool it would be for the Suns to play on Christmas Day this year. Yeah. And everybody wants it and all that stuff. Well, just a little bit ago, a couple minutes ago, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted, ESPN sources, here is the tentative Christmas Day schedule. Sorry, Suns fans. You're not getting that Christmas present. Ten teams playing on Christmas Day, and the Suns aren't one of them? Nope. Here's here's what they have so far. Now, tentative means, you know, they could change it if they have to. Uh, First, we have the Pelicans and the Heat. Then we have the Warriors and the Bucks. Okay, wait. So let's try and let's come up with the logic behind these. Zion versus the Heat. Zion versus Miami. Okay. Warriors, Steph's back. And Giannis. Giannis. Okay. The Nets, Kyrie and KD, and the Celtics. Boston, Boston, I big guess. market. Yeah. Uh, the next game after that, Mavericks, Lakers, Luca and LeBron. Yeah. Okay. And AD. And then the last game of Christmas Day, the Clippers and the Nuggets. All right. So, so that's probably, probably that seems like the late night game, doesn't yeah. it? Like, <laughs> I mean, it would have been Kawhi, cool to see Clippers, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So again, tentative. It could change, but right now, no Suns on Christmas Day. Uh, they haven't put out the whole. Schedule yet, right? And they're not going to release the whole schedule. I have not seen that. I've only seen the Christmas Day. There was some talk that we might get like the first half of the season schedule today, and I don't see it yet. Um, Yeah, I mean, it would be cool to see Suns Clippers in the night game, but this is and look, I mean, it's Chris Paul against a former team too. Like, there's there's a lot of reasons to make that the game instead. It looks like it's going to be Clippers Nuggets. But I would say this: if the Suns do this season what we think they can. And Chris Paul is at the center of it, and he's just so respected around the NBA. If the Suns do that, I would say next Christmas, I would think they're going to be in there. Right now, yeah, it would have been cool to see them there, but there are other more established teams around the NBA that you kind of figure the NBA is going to going to showcase until they've seen that the Suns can do something. Uh, but if the Suns 
do it this year, then yeah, I would assume. There's, just because there's so many storylines, if you're winning and Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are, are making up your core, then they're going to have to fit them in as like the night game next Christmas. So we'll see. And like you said, it's tentative, but it doesn't look like the Suns will be playing on Christmas Day uh, this season after all. All right, we come back. We're going to get back into college, figure out what's up with uh, with ASU secondary now going forward. Do they definitely have a game this weekend? And maybe even talk a little ASU basketball as well. Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source joins us next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. It's The Rundown. 98.7 FM Arizona's Sports Station. Okay, ASU football is tentatively back on the schedule. I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. They have a game Saturday night, Sun Devil Stadium against UCLA. We are joined now in the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line by Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source. Uh, Chris, first of all, thanks for the time. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? It was good, yes. Very different than normal, right? Because there's normally it's just right in the middle of ASU football, usually the uh, Territorial Cup week. And uh, so there's so much going on, and this week there wasn't as much going on, so I was able to spend a little more time with some family. And uh, you know, but I, I really would have rather been covering football. <laughs> well, let's be honest. Let's. Uh, well, we appreciate the honesty on the show here. Um, let's start with the game on Saturday. We've heard Herm say he's pretty confident that there will be one, and it, all signs are pointing that there should be one, but. I guess we're just hesitant because now we've gone three weeks without an ASU game, but where's your confidence level we see Sun Devils and, and Bruins this uh, this Saturday? Well, it's pretty high pending some unexpected development, which always could happen with new cases on either team. They all have to go through the testing uh, process before they travel and then when they arrive. Uh, but really, ASU hasn't had um, you know, more significant problems uh, really for about two weeks. It's just if they had played maybe a day or two later against Utah, I think they would have been able to get all their heart testing done um, with the players coming off of COVID, and that would have enabled them to play. Mm. Uh, two guys that it doesn't sound like you're going to play. I mean, I guess technically they're, they're just suspended indefinitely. We don't know for sure they won't play against UCLA at all. But Jack Jones and Ashari Crosswell, I, you know, they're, they're, everybody's saying it's not a legal thing, but specifically with Jack Jones, I mean, how do you replace him after how good he looked against USC? Definitely it's a hit, and it's also a hit for Jones because people view him as somebody with a checkered past, and so you have to really stay clean in terms of not getting in trouble even within your own team. Uh, And that's all that it was. It was just team conduct related from what I understand, but they probably won't play against UCLA. I don't know that there's been a final decision that's been made. Uh, I will say that Tamarcus Davis stepped up and did quite well uh, against USC when Jones was dealing with the, the persistent cramping that he had, and also Jordan Clark uh, as a nickel corner in his first real action as a Sun Devil in, a, in playing a lot uh, also really looked good. So I think their secondary has solid pieces. UCLA has not really been a potent passing attack, so I think they should be all right. Uh, just on, on on a human level, I mean, ASU hasn't played since November 7th. The game on Saturday, that, that marks December 5th. I mean, UCLA has been playing, and UCLA hasn't looked that bad. Just as, as far as just trying to get back out there and get into a routine, do you think it'll affect the Sun Devils more on offense or defense? Or, I mean, how are they going to handle that? I'm not really sure. That's a good question. I do totally agree that that is their biggest challenge, both from a 
just a fitness level and then also just a sharpness standpoint. Uh, I wouldn't expect, you know, teams to take a couple weeks off, not be practicing, and then come back and execute uh, or have the same, you know, level of durability or stamina that you normally would have. So uh, I think those are both issues. Maybe a little bit more for the offense just because they already – we're working through just incorporating new players and they, they and haven't had a lot of game speed opportunities to do that at uh, the defense is a lot more of a veteran group. Uh, they will have played against the UCLA offense before and all that. So I would say more so the, the offense, but I can see it on both sides. Talking to Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source. Chris, we, we've seen like guys like Chase Lucas and Chip Trainum over the last couple of weeks tweeting out that they just want to play football and this is why they're here. And, and Jaden Daniels tweeted it out a lot during, uh, during the Pac-12's hiatus while the, like the SEC and the ACC were playing. I mean, do you have a sense from the players that there's just a relief to get back out there? Has there been frustration at all? Or how do you feel the team is just mentally? Yeah, there's definitely a range of emotions uh, from a lot of frustration. Uh, people that did want to try to play earlier in the year uh, that the Pac-12 didn't decide to go that route. Then you have guys who are just trying to really stay positive. And, uh, you know, like Zach Hill said today, you only can really control what you can control. Worrying about a lot of the other stuff is uh, doesn't have a lot of ultimate value to you. Um, so I, it's been interesting. You know, we haven't talked to that many players. Not that many have been made available so far this week. Um, I'm interested to see just kind of what their mood is like. I, I think they're going to be really energized personally coming off a frustrating loss to USC, the way that that game ended, their expectations for themselves. I think that this, this is a, the type of a team that's uh, going to be really ready to go, at least from an emotional standpoint. You know, specifically with that game against UCLA, it sounds like Demetric Felton is going to be able to play. He's been an absolute monster for UCLA this season, former receiver, now their uh, they're running back. I mean, just as far as on the field, within the game, how do you expect ASU to be able to contain him? Right, so you remember, Luke, last year, it was Josh Kelly who had a monster rushing performance against ASU mm-hmm. in what was probably ASU's worst uh, game of the year, I would say by far. And um, so that's a concern that they have. It's different running back, but it's still the same offense, the same types of plays that they're going to see. Um, I, I would imagine that that's also motivating for them, right? I, I personally think a lot of that was uh, just guys not being, uh, just having that readiness, not being as sharp going into that game, understanding what they're trying to do, maybe not being quite as physical, getting out physical. Uh, so that that's also something that I I think is going to be probably the biggest determining factor. UCLA's passing offense, as I said earlier, not that great. Uh, so I would say on the defensive side, that's the whole key. If they can bottle up Felton, which is going to be really tough to do, obviously, but I think that they have the types of athletes where it's at least possible to have a pretty good game against the Bruins. That that to me is one of the absolute keys. You know, big picture, talking to Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source, do you do you expect recruiting to be impacted negatively by any of, you know, the Pac-12 starting late and then ASU only getting to play one game? Or, you know, if it, even if it's not negative, does ASU have a, a different plan going forward? Or do they have to change anything with, with everything that's happened this year? Well, there was a trend in the last few years of some of the really – elite recruits leaving the West and especially California to go to other places in the country, specifically 
you know, play in the SEC or play for Clemson and maybe Ohio State. And, and so that's already sort of on the radar of a lot of people. And now you have the Pac-12, you know, starting later, not maybe just getting nearly as many games in as other places. That could lead to people questioning the seriousness of Pac-12 football. So broadly, I think that's definitely a concern. For ASU, um, my, you know, just talking to a lot of recruits and family members and high school coaches, there, there were some guys that really wanted to see ASU play a few times to get a sense of things, especially, um, you know, some of the offense with the changes that are, that are going in place. And then you have, you know, moving from a 3-3-5 with Danny Gonzalez to what they're doing now with the 4-3 under, under Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce. Uh, and Jackson Dart, the quarterback, uh, four-star rated guy uh, out of Utah. I know he was waiting to see ASU play a little bit more before making a decision. So it, it would have been better for ASU to have been uh, already three or four games into the season right now uh, and, and be able to sell that. But, you know, if they're able to get a game or two here, I think it will still be able to have a lot of the similar type of value on some of these kids that are still outstanding. Uh, Chris, last one for you. I know you, you cover basketball here as well. We, we got to see Bobby Hurley's group a couple times over the Thanksgiving uh, weekend and then on Sunday against Houston Baptist. I, just your initial reaction or your initial uh, impressions, I should say, uh, of Josh Christopher, who in the Villanova game in the first half, I don't know, he looked like a guy that at some point the season's going to go off for 40 points. I know that's asking a lot, but the upside is, is very evident with him. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, during the, the telecast, I, I really think that you could see him at one point saying to Alonzo Verge, just let me go, let me go, meaning that he felt like he was ready or capable of taking over that game even more than he did. And that's saying a lot because uh, James Harden and Ike Thiago neither had uh, more than uh, the 28 points that Josh Christopher had in that game against a top five team in the country at the time. So uh, I, I think he looks really smooth. He has the, he has the mid-range game. Uh, he finished at the rim with a really good body control. Um, he had the, the and one three. I mean, this guy is a, a three-level scorer, physically ready to play at the NBA level. You know, in talking to some people at the NBA level, actually, they were saying that had Josh Christopher been in this year's NBA draft, which is a little bit weaker than what's expected next year, he would have been a candidate to be a top five pick. In fact, some people were saying that it's not clearly discernible whether uh, Anthony Edwards or Josh Christopher is a better long-term prospect, given that they're one year difference. Uh, you know, what, what would, what would be where Christopher's at in a year, let's say, right? So I, I just think that that's a very fascinating sort of conversation because ASU conceivably has a guy playing college basketball this year that already would have been maybe a top five pick in the NBA draft. Wow. And he certainly looked like it in the Villanova game. Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source, always great insight. Thanks for the time. And, and hopefully you have have a game to enjoy on Saturday. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Luke. Thanks a lot. That's Chris Cartman joining us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Coulter Cadillac Tempe. Experience the difference. Visit ColterCadillacTempe.com. All right, when we come back, we are going to give you the top five, myself and Bears, top five concerns for the Cardinals going forward. We're getting some good responses from you, the uh, the listeners, too, on Twitter. Again, you can tweet into the show at Rundown987. Uh, you can tweet me at Luke Lipinski. we got some good ones on there we'll check out as well. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 987. FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.
All right, welcome back to the show. That music, of course, means it is time for a top five list. And I feel like most of the time when we do these top five lists, it's it's like a positive thing or we're excited about it. Or, you know, worst case, we have like the top five draft picks in Suns history. And then Bear does the, the five worst draft. Like we at least even it out a little bit. Tonight, this is bad. Your top five concerns with the Arizona Cardinals going forward. Bear, I defer. I'm going to let you start with number five. Okay. Number five for me, and it's very recent, Kyler Murray's lack of running the football. Okay. I feel like that is... That's the ingredient to this offense that makes it special. That makes it unlike any other offense in the NFL right now. We saw, you know, kind of with the with the Ravens, with Lamar Jackson last year, the one thing that teams couldn't defend was Lamar Jackson running the football. Yeah. And if you if you go to the Cardinals with Kyler Murray, he's a way better passer than Lamar Jackson is, so he has that true balance between good arm talent and special running ability. And I don't know if it's been, you know, Opposing defenses taking it away, or if it has to do with his shoulder. I don't know what it is, but I want to see it back in the offense soon. Yeah, I mean it's it's the lifeblood of the offense, and like you said, like you said last night, it's basically like spaghetti, but you don't have the meatballs, right? Like okay, well then, yeah, I mean, what's sure. the point? You can get by with just the spaghetti, I guess, if you want to be weird like that, or you could just add the meatballs and have a really delicious treat. Uh, number five on my list is the. Injuries on the defensive side of the ball, specifically the defensive line, but I mean, I'm going to throw Chandler Jones in there as well. It hasn't really burned them that much, these these last two losses to Seattle and New England. I, I don't think the defense has played badly. The defense played really well, actually, against New England. But you're missing almost your entire defensive line, and you're missing your best pass rusher. And I don't know. I mean, it's only five on my list, but... Ideally, you know, you'd have Jordan Phillips fully healthy, or you'd have Chandler Jones back, or you wouldn't be playing the rest of the season without Corey Peters. And the guys that have had to step in so far and 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 fill that void have done a good job, which is what makes that Patriots game that much more frustrating. That your defense is beat up, it played well, and you still didn't win. But uh, that's higher on my list, so we'll just go with number five for now. Okay, uh, number four for me. Of top five biggest concerns for the Arizona Cardinals right now, the slow starts. I know they started pretty quick against the Patriots thanks to a Cam Newton interception that set them up pretty well. Um, But more often than not this season, you're seeing their first offensive drive not result in points. They, you know, it's this offense I feel like should be getting them leads early and maybe even two touchdown leads early in the first quarter, even. And we haven't really been seeing that this year. Uh, they had an early lead on Sunday, and they couldn't keep it. And that was the only touchdown they scored for a while. But I want to see early drives result in touchdowns and not necessarily field goals either. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We talked about that. I don't know if it was the pregame show or what. And, and like you said, they went out there and they did score on their first drive. But it was a very short field because of the Cam Newton interception. But it is weird because you would think beginning of the game is when they would they would be scoring every time. Like Kingsbury essentially can script out the first, whatever, 15, 20 plays of the game on offense. You would think, again, that's his strength. That's when they would be scoring. 
And instead, other than the game against the Patriots, it's really been they fall behind, they trail at halftime, they come back, and for the most part had been winning this season, although now at 6-5, and five, everything's kind of evened out. Uh, that's a good one, slow starts, and I, and I don't have it on my list, but um, <laughs> I, I would say that I should, but I'm not moving any of these other five off, so maybe not. Maybe they have a lot of things to be concerned about. Number four on my list is the inability to get short yardage, and it sort of goes hand-in-hand hand with what you were saying about Kyler Murray before what was making this team so effective, I thought, converting third downs earlier in the season and just being dangerous on offense and putting up 30-plus points in a game week after week there for a while was if they needed short yardage, either either Kyler would just run for it and would just be like, hey, we need three yards, Kyler will get us eight. Or because of the threat that Kyler would run for it, guys were getting open because defenses had to focus on Kyler when he dropped back the pass. Or the threat that Kyler would run... Kenyon Drake or even Chase Edmonds was able to just pick up a yard or two. It was maddening on Sunday how many times Kenyon Drake couldn't get a yard or six inches or two yards. And I don't think it was all his fault, but that's concerning because these games are going to be close. They've played seven of the Cardinals games this season have been one score games and the last five have been one score games. You need to be able to get your yards when it's second and two, third and two, fourth and one. And you need to be able to make your kicks, which I think will be higher on our lists. Speaking of, (laughs) number three, Zane Gonzalez is my third biggest concern with the Cardinals right now. And that's not good. Uh, We should never talk about kickers, ever. Um, But Zane Gonzalez, and and like we've been saying the past, you know, a couple days, he hasn't been terrible. He hasn't been terrible overall overall and statistically he hasn't been he hasn't been horrible but the magnitude of kicks that he's missing this year concerns me they've all been potential game tying or go ahead field goals and i i don't know games away right and i don't know how long you can stick with a kicker for that long you know, they literally have one job to do and put the ball through the uprights. Yeah, it's uh, well, I'll get into Zane because he's obviously on my list, too. But it's essentially like having a relief pitcher that can come in and be really good in the seventh inning. But you need him to close and he's not closing games and that will just kill your team. Uh, number three on my list is Cliff Kingsbury in late game situations. And I like we'll go through some of the the. Uh, comments that listeners wrote in uh, throughout the second half of the show. But uh, I know a lot of people were saying Kingsbury, Kingsbury's leadership, Kingsbury's inexperience. Uh, For me, it's not so much the leadership. It's just he's so aggressive for most of the game. But then in late game situations or at the end of the first half, I mean, I told you this off the air. This is a small thing, but I didn't even like that when they were going for it on fourth down at the end of the first half, they ran the clock all the way down and made sure it was the last play. Yeah, if you're playing the Chiefs, okay, fine. If not, I'm playing the Patriots who can't move the ball. I'm probably running that play with 15 seconds left because if I don't get in the end zone, I want Cam Newton to have to run a play from his own three-inch line. Maybe I get a safety. Maybe I force a turnover or something. Like, just little stuff like that. I think it's an experience. He's not there yet, but it's concerning because, again, every game is close. Yeah, you pretty much took mine. Number two, Cliff Kingsbury's game management at the end of games. Oh, mine's at the end of games. Oh, okay. End of games. Mine's at the end of halves and games. Okay. Well, and maybe it is just because he, you know, he's, this is only his second year on the job. It's, you know, it hasn't been the most uh, normal 
start to an NFL coaching career with with Cliff Kingsbury. But I I just don't understand like the play calls before Zane came on to kick that field goal. It was third and one. They do. They keep playing for a field goal. Right. And, and why? They, I don't, he can't make the kicks. Don't, I don't play for a field goal. Well, even so, if that wasn't at the end of the game, Cliff Kingsbury would have gone for it on fourth down. Yeah. So what changes? Is it just why does he get conservative towards the end of games? Is he afraid of of screwing it up? I, I'm not sure, but. I don't know. And then there was that... I, I can't remember what game it was, but do you remember that sequence where they came out and they threw it three straight times and they needed to be running it to run down the clock? Yeah, that might have been Miami against... Game, yeah, think. Miami. Yeah. And they they threw, they threw the ball on three straight downs and they had to punt. Yeah. I, I, I just don't... And some of the usage of the timeouts in the New England game, they he called timeout before that Cam Newton run that set them up for the game-winning field goal. I... I I, I just don't I don't understand what happened. I, it, maybe it's just as simple as he's outthinking himself. Maybe. And that might very well be it. But again, he's in a division with Pete Carroll and Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. He's probably going to get outcoached uh, overall by those three guys. So he needs to tighten up the fundamentals. Uh, and, you know, again, even if Zane makes that kick, they left the Patriots enough time to potentially come down and tie it on Sunday. It's not like Zane was kicking and, the win. And Cliff Kingsbury's admitted that Kyler Murray, his franchise quarterback, has come up to him and said, don't be conservative. We yeah. will make the play. And well, it seems like they're just playing for field goals late in games. Number two on my list is kicking, uh, regardless of whether Zane's kick would have uh, won them the game. For hey, sure, Andy Lee didn't have a very good punt either. No, he didn't. But specifically the uh, the, the, the field goals. And, and like I said earlier, the, just the mental drain that can have on a team. It's not just that you're giving away wins, which you can't do in a 16-game season. But uh, again, I would go with the baseball analogy. you got 162 baseball games. And if your team, we've seen it here with the Diamondbacks, if your team's closer is coming in and blowing games, it will crush you if he does it seven times out of 162. If you have a kicker that you can't trust at the end of games, like maybe the silver lining is it'll make Cliff more aggressive in the final couple minutes, but it hasn't yet. And just the mental drain, if he costs you three out of 16 games, that's like a closer costing you 30 games in a baseball season. And I just, it's not just the losses right now, it's the mental impact on the team losing all these close games. That's my number two. All right, my number one on our top five biggest concerns for the Cardinals right now, it's got to be the penalties. All those penalties that they've been racking up, and a lot of them are false starts in stadiums with no fans. <laughs> How does that happen? And, mystifying. And the, the, it seems like the fans' first you know, target on that stuff is they're badly coached. Literally, don't move until the ball is snapped. That that's that seems. I mean, I I th- feel like it's pretty simple, yeah. right? But you can't have that many false starts in stadiums with no fans. You can't just have these mental errors. You can't have Drake Kirkpatrick trying to fight DK Metcalf on a fourth down that might have sealed that game. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, and that's another one that's a very good one that I, on the surface, would say, oh yeah, penalties should be on my list, but it didn't make my list because I have five other concerns I am more concerned about. Number one on mine is Kyler Murray's shoulder. Uh, Look, if it's nothing, then I'm upset that you as a team are taking him out of the running game voluntarily. If it's something, well, then I understand why you're trying to limit him running, or at least it sure seems like that the last two weeks. But then I'm more concerned because it's like, that's not something you can just flip a switch and change it. 
we knew all season, right? I mean, every there was there was a number there was a, a number of games this season where Kyler would take a hit, and you're kind of looking at your friends like, okay, he hopefully gets up just fine because otherwise, every everything unravels for this team, and it's that way with most NFL teams, but especially the ones that have a very good quarterback. That hit against the Seahawks and and the Seahawks players kind of grinding him into the ground when they were getting up. Like, that stuff's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. He didn't get hurt because he's smaller on that play. That's not it at all. But from that point on, this season has been different. The second drive of that Seahawks game through uh, right now. And I know you you can come back and say, okay, that's only essentially two games. So maybe it turns around. Maybe it does. But my biggest concern is that he's more hurt than they're letting on or he's hurt enough where they don't want him to run very much because, as we've been saying, that takes this team from being special and dangerous in the NFC to, okay, they're improving from last year and maybe they'll make the playoffs. And that's two very different narratives. And at the end of the day, maybe they're both okay, big picture. But when you start 6-3 and three and we saw what Kyler Murray could do, nobody's going to be happy if this team goes 8-8. Eight and eight. Because he can't be Kyler Murray down the stretch, especially if it was because of an injury suffered against Seattle. All right, that is our top five list. Our most concerns, most concerning concerns, our biggest concerns with the Cardinals right now with five games left this season. We'll come back. Hour number two of the show starts with the reload next on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studio. Luke Lipinski here, Cody Fincher behind the glass. We'll start with the Suns. Monty Williams talking to the media today, kind of, it's almost, I think this is what, virtual media day spread out over the course of a week with the uh, the season starting three weeks from tonight, at least the NBA season, uh, not necessarily the Suns. Uh, playing on the 22nd. We don't have a schedule yet. But uh, Monty Williams reacting to the expectations and the pressure now that you've you've sped up the clock when you trade for Chris Paul. How, did, uh, how does Monty Williams feel about it? We understand that the expectations of this team have gone up exponentially. But why would you want to play without pressure? Last year, for the most part, in the beginning, we had no pressure. And, and that's not something that I think anybody wants especially if you're competitive like we are and so we understand that we also understand that it's going to come with some scrutiny at times that sometimes it's merited and sometimes it's not you can't control that what you can control is your preparation and And more from monty williams what does he want from Devin Booker this year. There's always that talk of like, okay, what more are you going to get from DeAndre Ayton? Who needs to step up? What do you think of Chris Paul? What do you think of Jay Crowder? And incidentally, we're going to play you the Jay Crowder interview with Burns and Gambo from this afternoon here shortly. It's uh, You, you want to tune into that. But um, Monty Williams today asked, what do you want from Devin Booker this year? What do I want? I want Devin to be an all-NBA player. I want Devin to be an MVP candidate. You know, that requires a lot. It requires... I mean, how do you how do you improve those kinds of numbers? That's a hard one, but th- that's that's what I want for Book. I want him to be All NBA. I want him to be an MVP candidate. I want him to be recognized uh, defensively. I'd love to see him in the conversation for All NBA and, and someday an MVP. And that's that's going to take a lot of work. But more than anything, I want to see him as one of the the guys that's on a winning team. 
and and that's you know that's our next level. Man, that that's that's on the table this year, isn't it? Like I know a lot of Suns fans feel like Devin Booker is sort of disrespected nationally and not, not going to all-star games finally gets there last year with an injury and everything but uh you know not not typically talked about nationally as a top 10 player not even typically as a top 15 sometimes as a top 20 it is possible though that he takes a huge step this year and and enters that conversation and I'm just saying for this year like maybe we look back at the end of this season and he's getting MVP votes even if he finishes you know 6th or 7th or whatever it's possible and if we go even one step further if he's ever gonna achieve that level in the NBA this is his best chance to do it at least so far now, a lot of the years that he has played so far, he's been amazing. But kind of going in, it was like, okay, what's the plan? Uh, the team's going to be mediocre, and Devin's going to save them every night. And we'll see how many times he can save them, and that'll be how many wins they have. It's different this year. There is talk, hey, Devin Booker could be better. Not because he's lacking anything in his game, but just because look at the pieces around him. Look at his coach. Look at his point guard. If he's going to take another step, which I know is is almost unfair to say, but if he's going to, it's going to be this year. And it's the first time I can remember saying that now since like his second year in the league. Because it's basically just been, yeah, he's really good. And he's got to do it all his own. Not now. Not this year. Uh, to football for the Cardinals, a... A very defining stretch coming up for Cliff Kingsbury in particular. He's getting more and more criticism, not just locally, nationally as well. And, you know, nationally, there's not as much emotion fired into it. You expect fans to be criticizing their coach when they are, when the team is stumbling the way they have. But nationally, Kingsbury's taking some heat. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying, like, this is a defining stretch for him, like he's on the hot seat. He's not. They could probably go one and four down the stretch. He's fine going into next season, but then that really sets a different tone for next season, doesn't it? Uh, But I would say specifically, he has a chance to regain some trust from Cardinals fans if he can get this team to, I would say, three and two in the next five games. And specifically, just for him, it'd be huge if one of those wins came over the Rams because the Cardinals in the last six year, or last three years, I'm sorry, six games are 0-6 against the Rams and they've been outscored 195-56. to 56. The reality is the Rams are hanging around. Even if Seattle wins the division, you know, the Rams are going to be in the playoffs. You're, you're eventually going to have to face them if you go anywhere in the playoffs, probably. You might have to face them in the first round one of these years. Um, and if you want a challenge for the division, you're not going to be able to do it by going... 1-1 one one against the Niners, 1-1 one one against the Seahawks, no and 2 against the Rams. That is the team that the Cardinals have not shown, whether it was with Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer there last year, certainly with Steve Wilkes, Josh Rosen, and even last year with, with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, although they did better last year, but they were still both losses. That's the team they have not shown that they are able to beat in this division. And I threw this number out there earlier, but this is how badly they've been outscored in each of the last three years against L.A., 65-31 last year, 65-9 the year before that, 65-16 in 2017. They've been outscored, the Cardinals have, 195-56 to in their last six games against the Rams, all losses. If you want to earn some of the trust the Cardinals fans back as Cliff Kingsbury, go out there and beat the Rams, either this Sunday or in Week 17, and get this team into the playoffs. Uh, ASU, we talked to Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source earlier. 
Not a legal issue for Jack Jones or Ashari Crosswell, but they are suspended indefinitely for violating team conduct policies. So indefinitely likely means at least the UCLA game, which means your secondary is going to be hurting against the UCLA team that's been scoring points. Although it should be pointed out, UCLA scoring points because of their running back, Demetric Felton. They're not really throwing the ball over teams. They're just running. And Chris Cartman brought it up earlier. Remember Josh Kelly, who's now with the Chargers, how he ran all over the card or the uh, the Sun Devils last season. Felton's looked better this year than Kelly did last year so far. So we uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Uh, Wednesday night football tomorrow. The Ravens and Steelers looks like it's finally going to happen. The most anticipated game like ever. And it means Washington-Pittsburgh next Monday. So these are Week 13 games now. And then Dallas-Baltimore next Tuesday for Week 13. And back to the NBA. The schedule, there was talk that we might get the first half of it at some point today. It's coming soon, whether it's tomorrow. It's going to come at some point this week. The season starts three weeks from uh, tonight. But Woj did tweet out earlier, about, I don't know, 45 minutes ago, that the NBA's Christmas Day schedule tentatively is out. And it is Pelicans Heat, Warriors Bucks, Nets Celtics, Mavericks Lakers, and Clippers Nuggets. So no Suns on that list. Uh, What is that? Five, six, six Western Conference teams over the spread out over the five games but uh, but no nuggets or I'm sorry no suns unfortunately yes nuggets no suns yet uh, at, at, the, at this point and it sounds like that's going to be it I mean Woj doesn't typically tweet stuff out that doesn't happen he did say though that's the tentative Christmas day schedule stuff could change um, a lot of stuff has changed this season but I would say if you're looking for the suns to be playing on Christmas day go out there and do this season what we all think they can do and then you'll be playing Christmas Day 2021 because if they if they go out there and they are like the fourth or fifth best team in the Western Conference this year and they do it with star power in Devin Booker and maybe DeAndre Ayton and one of the most respected names in the game in Chris Paul, they'll be playing next Christmas then. I mean, you got six Western Conference teams on here this year and none of them are the Suns. If you are a top five team this season, I think you'll be there next season. All right, when we come back, Jay Crowder joined Burns and Gambo this afternoon, and we're going to play you the whole interview because it got Suns fans buzzing, and uh, it's the first time we've really heard from Jay Crowder. This guy wants to be here, and he might be, you know, he's not a huge name, he's not hes not Chris Paul, he's not Devin Booker, he's not even DeAndre Ayton, but he might be just what the Suns needed. You're going to hear from him next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Well, we just heard from Jay Crowder on with Burns and Gambo this afternoon. Monty Williams spoke to the media here today, spoke for a good half hour to the media. I mean, I think he's probably pretty excited about uh, what... What James Jones has has put in front of him for this season as uh, as well played the clip earlier where he's glad that the Suns have expectations and pressure this year and uh, also good to have a demanding player like Chris Paul not just for DeAndre Ayton really for everybody. Firstly, I think there's this negative negative connotation with demanding from your teammates. Like I think all great players, all good players, in one way or another, demand from their team 
I was around Tim Duncan for years, and he demanded of his teammates. He, he may have done it differently, but when you see a guy like Tim in the gym every day working like he does, it puts a lot of pressure on you to, to step it up. Uh, some guys do it that way. Some guys do it verbally, and, and some guys do it with action. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think as we all grow in these roles, we figure out how to demand. And I think that's an area where Chris is, has matured and, matured and grown and, and understands the personalities of the people that he plays with. But I don't think it's a bad thing. The thing about Chris Paul coming in and demanding more from his teammates, you know, that's somewhat of a fine line because he hasn't been here. So, you know, you could look and say, okay, well, you know, who's the new guy coming in and, and, and telling us where we're lacking? You know, we've been here. Well, the new guy is one of the most respected players in the NBA, a surefire Hall of Famer. He's played in 109 playoff games, and he started 109 of those 109 playoff games. He's played in 92 playoff games since the last time the Suns were in the playoffs. They all know that he's coming in to demand more of them. They know it ahead of time. It's not going to be like, okay, fourth week of the season and you know the Suns are in a little bit of a lull and they're having a tough game against you know whoever, the Spurs, let's just say on a Tuesday night and Chris Paul goes off on somebody in the third quarter and they're like, hey, what, what, what's this guy? And it causes some rift. Like, no. Everybody on that team knows why Chris Paul is coming in. And it's a major reason why he was brought in. It's not to say like, oh, DeAndre Ayton's not good enough, but DeAndre Ayton was the number one overall pick. He can be better. Chris Paul should be able to make him better with his attitude and his leadership and his experience, but also what he can do on the court. Because that's the thing. If Chris Paul came in and wasn't able to do anything on the court, you know, you already have a coach. But you look at his numbers last year, and I and I know that there is a a percentage of Suns fans that are like, all right, I mean, 36-year-old point guard, what more does this guy really have? Well, they're banking that he has a lot for at least these next two years, and specifically this year. And you look at the the what he did last season. I mean, I know you don't want to pay for past results necessarily, but he was an absolute machine last year with Oklahoma City, a team that had a lot less talent than this Suns team does. And he got them all the way. They were in the 4-5 matchup. Played Houston close in the playoffs. Remember that? Remember the uh, Lou Dort versus James Harden Game 7? That's because Chris Paul got them there. Averaged nearly 18 points a game last season. Five rebounds, seven assists. Still getting almost two steals a game. That's that's just stats. That's on the court. That's what he's doing. And that wasn't five years ago. That was a couple months ago. So he needs to be able to provide that sort of production on the floor, certainly, too. And I think he will be able to, at least for this upcoming season. And honestly, probably for, for both of the seasons that he's signed for. Or at least something close to it. But there's that additional edge that he should bring to this team. And that's the reason he was brought in. Uh, one more from Monty Williams talking about Chris Paul. He's excited to learn from Chris Paul. I'm looking forward to to learning from him. He's had so many different experiences since I coached him 10 years ago. And um, I want to be a sponge as it relates to his ability to manage the game and, and make guys better at the same time. I'm looking forward to improving what he does. I hope I can. And um, on a personal level, I'm looking forward to seeing Jada and the kids. Uh, I haven't seen little Chris since he was 
littler Chris, you know, and now he's got a little daughter and his dad and I have always had really good conversations over the years. So he's just, he's one of those guys that makes everybody better. And um, he carries a lot of weight every night. And, and hopefully I can relieve some of that pressure that he has on his shoulders. Yeah, it's been about 10 years since Monty Williams coached Chris Paul in New Orleans. And uh, now they're reunited. And again, season starts three weeks from two nights. Back to the Cardinals, Devondre Campbell speaking today about the L.A. Rams and some of the challenges they pose not only this Sunday, but in Week 17 for the Cardinals as well. The Rams have an explosive offense. Um, Jared Goff is, is playing really well right now, you know, so we just have to, to, to take it one game at a time at this point, I feel like. Um, they're, they're a very good football team, and their record shows that, so we can't, you know, worry about, like, how streaky they can be. We know, like, when they're clicking, they're a really good football team, so we just have to prepare as such. You know, every game matters, and every game has mattered, but the, the good thing about it is everything we want to accomplish is still right in front of us, so we just have to, to forget about everything that's happened up until this point, and focus on what's ahead of us. Yeah, that everything is still in front of us is a familiar refrain with uh, with Cardinals players and coaching staff uh, these last couple of days since that Patriots game. And it's true. It's all still right in front of them. They still control uh, pretty much everything. I mean, I guess they could win out and not catch Seattle for first in the NFC West, but they control whether or not they make the playoffs. They are in very much in, in a lot of control of, of you know how high they finish as a wild card. They, they could still win the division, but they would need some help in that regard. But they could still shoot up the wild card standings or you know if they don't get it together they're gonna miss the playoffs so it is all within their control and I don't want to paint like this picture of the Rams as if they're some unbeatable team yes they have owned the Cardinals now for three years but they just lost to San Francisco on Sunday they got hammered pretty 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 emphatically by Miami back uh in week eight they've gotten swept by San Francisco this season they have a loss to Buffalo too they're seven and four but I mean Two losses to, to a beat-up San Francisco team, and they lost to Miami 28-17 to on November 1st, but that was like, that. it was 28-7 to for a good chunk of that game. They are a beatable team. It just has not been a good matchup for the Cardinals at all. And again, it comes back to what can Kyler Murray do? Kelvin Beecham was asked the question that everybody's being asked now. Does Kyler Murray need to run for the Cardinals to be successful? I think he loves to run. I think that gets him into the Florida game as well. But the way teams are playing us, they're taking, they're literally taking that away. Um, if a back is offset, they're putting two guys on the backside, literally waiting on them. So, you know, I think in the National Football League, you realize you start playing long enough, people will find a way to take certain things away from you. And you've got to find a way to still find ways to win in spite of. The thing is, we've had opportunities to win games in a variety of ways. And we've had, and we've lost games in a variety of ways. I think for us moving forward, we got to find a way to win games offensively in a way that it doesn't matter whether Kyler runs for five yards or Kyler runs for, you know, a hundred yards. If, if uh, KD and Chase run for 200 yards or they run for 50 yards, or we throw for, you know, 300 or we, you know, throw for 150, we have to find ways to win games. Uh, it doesn't matter how you get it done. Um, it just has to get done. If the explanation really is that simple, 
where teams are doing everything they can to focus on Kyler the runner first and foremost, if it really is, if it's just that, if it's only that, if it's not that Kyler's hurt, and the Cardinals are are hesitant to to let him run as much because he's hurt. If it's just the teams have decided we're going to make Kyler either beat us with his arm or, you know, Kenyon Drake beat us or whoever, somebody else is going to have to beat us. It's not going to be the running version of Kyler Murray. If that's the case, then somebody else needs to step up. Whether it's the passing game, whether it's, you know, Kyler throws for 350 yards and three touchdowns one of these weeks, or Kenyon Drake or Chase Edmonds or whoever just goes off in the running game, if teams are are dedicating that much more attention to it, then that means they're dedicating resources to it too. And so it's simple math. Somebody else should be able to step up and do something here on offense. You can't be scoring 17 points against the Patriots. You You can't, especially not when you start with 10 points in the first few minutes. All right, we come back. We're going to close up the show with a little fantasy football talk. Week 12 is still not over, but, I mean, if we wait, who knows when the Ravens and Steelers are playing, supposedly tomorrow. Rising and Falling is next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, let's check out some of these responses Thanks to you for tweeting into the show at Rundown987. Our question for today, what is your biggest concern surrounding the Cardinals right now? Bear and I gave you our our top five biggest Cardinals concerns earlier in the show. But some of the responses uh, from 19 Yote, Kyler. From uh, Steven, the fan base expecting to win a Super Bowl every week. JV Hines says offense. Scott Brooks says penalties. Walter says winning more games. Paul says winning. Uh, different Steven depth and a sputtering offense. ZJ says Cliff. Uh, a lot of play calling, a lot of inconsistency in here, a lot of penalties. I'm seeing that. Uh, Kingsbury's leadership. Steven, Steven Ellis says kicker. That's actually the first time I saw that so far on the list, which is surprising. I thought it was going to be mostly kicker. Uh, Johan says coaching. Cliff needs to sharpen up the play calling. Show says they're losing close games. That hurts. Uh, Will, they don't know how to operate under center. Jerome says health. Get the defense healthy again. Everybody else, everything else will fall into place. Uh, a lot of people want the defense to get healthy, which uh, that was on my list, certainly. Um, Angel writes in, Kyler will be in the same position as Larry, not winning a Super Bowl. That's my concern. A lot of good ones on there. And unfortunately, there's there's uh, there's a lot of right answers. So that's uh, that's where we are right now. I mean, they can certainly turn everything around and go out there and beat the Rams on Sunday, but that's uh, it's easier said than done. Certainly. All right, we're talk a little fantasy football here before we wrap up the show. We do this uh, when we have shows on Tuesday. Rising and falling. We're going to do a quarterback, running back, and receiver slash tight end on the rise, and one of each of those spots. That is trending downward. Basically, a stock watch for fantasy football. Bear, let's start with uh, let's start with falling this week. Who do you got? Okay, falling quarterback Matthew Stafford of the Detroit Lions. He's scored twenty or more points just once in his last four games, and he's missing his top two receivers right now in Kenny Galladay and Danny Amendola. So, not a lot of good happening in Detroit right now. They fired their coach and their GM as well. Um, and yeah, Matthew Stafford is just not a lot of guys to throw to. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's fair, and you know it doesn't necessarily have to be that the guy's playing badly. It's just simply if he doesn't have the weapons, he's not somebody you want to be starting. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with Derek Carr. I I almost went with Kyler Murray. He's still good. You'd still start him, but this is not start him or sit him. Kyler's been trending down fantasy points wise the last few weeks too. But Derek Carr, Derek Carr had less than a point this week in a great matchup with Atlanta. Couple weeks prior against Denver, he had 154 yards, no touchdowns. So two of his last four games, two of his last three games, actually, Derek Carr single-digit points. One of them not even really single-digit. He basically had zero this past week against Atlanta. And the way this league is with passing in 2020, you need your quarterback putting up at least, at least like 18 points to have a chance. And uh, I mean, Patrick Mahomes puts up like 40 a week now. Derek Carr put up zero last week. And like I said, seven a couple weeks earlier. So he's definitely trending down for Vegas. All right. My rising quarterback. It's what, what did you do? I, I you drove things? A, a pen into the microphone. Oh, that's not good. No, that's I wouldn't. Probably not a good it. idea. Probably not. Uh, Kirk Cousins, my rising quarterback. I never thought I'd say that. He's not good. But uh, <laughs> recently he has scored uh, 22 and 26 points in his last two games, respectively. He's thrown for 300 plus yards in back to back games. That's this is huge all with for him. Dalvin Cook back, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and he, listen to this stat. In his past five games, he has 12 touchdown passes and just three overall turnovers. That's remarkable He's for him. He's been very, very good recently. <sighs> okay. And just, by the way, they have a lot of weapons in Minnesota. Yeah. Dalvin Cook to throw out of the backfield. Adam Thielen, I think he's injured right now, but he's really good. And Justin Jefferson is already a really good receiver, and this is his rookie year. Yeah, all these good rookie receivers this year. Justin Jefferson really might be the best. Uh, I mean, there's a lot. There's Chase Claypool, Mike Pittman. CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, there, there's been a ton. And CeeDee Lamb, unfortunately for him, just doesn't have a quarterback right, right. now. Uh, okay, this is going to feel like cheating, but I'm, I'm doing it to illustrate just how, how much better he's been lately. Patrick Mahomes. These are his numbers over the last four weeks, okay? 1,598 passing yards and 14 <laughs> touchdowns. He has one interception that came against Vegas. That's insane. His previous interception came all the way back in week five. And I'm looking at the scoring in one of my leagues where you get a five-point bonus if you hit 350 passing yards. So these are his point totals the last four weeks. 47, 40, 24, 40. Huh. He's hit 350 passing 24, yards. 24, what a loser. Yeah, he missed. He, he had 348 passing yards in that I game. I wish Lamar Jackson would get me 24 <laughs> points, just saying. I should look it up. I mean, I, I'd have to, uh, well, I can't look it up during the break because the show's about to end. But I'm guessing in the last four games, Mahomes has more points than, that's what, Half the quarterbacks in the league have all season. It's it's almost funny that we even talk about anybody else winning the NFL MVP. Yeah. Because the dude never has a bad game. He never has a bad game. He really... Go ahead with your uh, your falling running back, and I'll try and do some okay, quick math. My falling running back is Kareem Hunt of the Cleveland Browns, mostly because Nick Chubb is back from injury, and he's taking away touches uh, from Kareem Hunt. Also... Since Chubb's been back, Kareem Hunt has only scored uh, double-digit points in just one of his last four games. Not good. I've had to bench him. Oh, that, that, that one hit home there at the end. It, it did, but I'm personal. okay. I have Derrick Henry and James Robinson. So, oh, so right. you're fine. Okay. 
so I don't have to worry too much for you. Uh, for falling running backs, I'm just going to go with the Bills running backs. And They have running backs? Kind of. I mean, this started a few weeks ago when they played the Seahawks, and 31 of their first 35 plays were passes, and that was specifically because they were playing Seattle, but still. Zach Moss was trending up for a while. He's not really doing much. Devin Singletary's not doing much. They just don't run a lot, and they're splitting the carries, so... Bills running backs uh, definitely trending downward right now. Uh, my rising running back is Antonio Gibson of the Washington football team. Three touchdowns on Thanksgiving Day against uh, the terrible Dallas Cowboys defense. <laughs> but he's got seven rushing touchdowns in uh, overall in his last four games, so that's good. Also, I looked at his uh, number of carries. He's getting more and more carries every week. And surprisingly enough, his yards are going up when he gets more carries. So, uh, yeah, it seems like Washington might actually kind of know what it's doing now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's he's definitely probably worth, you know, being your running back one or two every week. Yeah, he has seven touchdowns in the last five games. And, you know, earlier in the season they were kind of easing him into it, a rookie who played a lot of receiver in college. But he has 10 catches on 15 targets over the last three games. So he's now, for a while it was J.D. McKissick was getting, like, the, the receiving yardage out of the backfield and then Gibson was running now it's kind of just all Gibson and yeah he went off for three touchdowns against Dallas on Thanksgiving but he's been really good now really all season but especially like the last uh, month and a half I would say he's he's my uh, rising running back too all right uh falling receiver next shall we yes this pains me to say it DeAndre Hopkins is falling uh he has just one 100 yard receiving game in his last four games he only has one touchdown in that span as well. And looking ahead to this week, he's facing the Rams defense, which is a very good defense. Uh, hopefully they get back on the right track. I feel like they've, I don't know, I feel like they've gone away from targeting him a lot. Remember in the first couple games, every pass was to DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah, like, yeah. It was they fun. probably try to do that some more. I enjoyed I that a lot more than what we're seeing right now. Uh, this one surprised me when I was looking because I know a lot of people – we're riding this wave for a while and are probably still starting him. So this one may actually help your team specifically as you're driving around right now. Yes, I'm talking specifically to you if you've been starting Travis Fulgham, who for a stretch there had 14 points, 36, 20, 13, 20. The last three games, he has four catches for 32 yards total. So you can stop starting Travis Fulgham. Yeah, Carson Wentz and, like, you know, they have Rager to throw to. They have Ward. They have Apparently Alshon Jeffrey exists again. Apparently. Really, Dallas Goddard, who they're throwing to. Even Richard Rodgers. Fulgham, four catches for 32 yards over the last month. That was an eye-opener. All right. My rising wide receiver. I believe he was on my falling list once upon a time this year. Mike Evans of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Somehow, Tom Brady remembers he exists. And uh, in his last three games, he has four touchdown catches. He's getting a lot more targets, even though they've added Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin is back from injury. Somehow now Mike Evans is getting more targets. I don't know. But, yeah, Mike Evans has had a really good stretch recently and uh, probably worth putting back in your lineup if you gave up on him earlier. Well, that is a good one. Uh, and, And I don't know if I can trust him down the stretch, but you're right. You have to. He's been an absolute beast lately. I'm going to say this guy's name because I know you won't for rising. Keenan Allen, who I know is already, you know, number I one receiver. I can't talk too good about him because because <laughs> you don't want to he'll get hurt to ruin it. In his last 6 games, he's on a 5-game touchdown streak first of all. 
But in his last six games, he has 51 catches for 519 yards and five scores. And yes, Keenan Allen is good every season. I know he was a fairly high pick in a lot of leagues. Kind of not really like the guy that you run to the podium in your league to draft because it's just kind of like nobody's going to be, oh, you took Keenan Allen from me. But very, um, very reliable most seasons. But why I'm bringing him up now is because he's doing all this with a rookie quarterback. Like if you're in a keeper league, this... Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen connection is legit. He was targeted 10 times last week. He was targeted 19 times the week before. I mean, that's... Justin Herbert is throwing a lot, and he has found his target in Keenan Allen. And again, five straight games with a touchdown. All right, that is going to do it for us here this evening. We'll be right back at it again tomorrow. Um... Yeah, I don't know. We got we got probably a lot more Suns to talk about tomorrow as well. And, of course, we'll get prepared for Cardinals-Rams as well. For Cody Fincher behind the glass, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks to you for tuning in to The Rundown on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station.